Brooklyn's Radio presents Surrey Business Affairs with Jackie Mitchell. Hello and welcome to Surrey Business Affairs with me, Jackie Mitchell. We'll be covering subjects relating to business, the challenges facing businesses in the area, as well as new opportunities and innovations. And if you'd like to join in, email studio at brooklandsradio.co.uk with any comments or questions for our guests. On today's show, we have Victoria Clark from Stowe Family Law, John Edward from Mandara Wills and Estate Planning, and Nora Zimmerman, website designer. But to start with, I'd like to welcome our first guest to the studio, Brooke Hender, a cognitive hypnotherapist. Hello there, Brooke. Good afternoon, Jackie. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. So tell us a bit about your background then. What were you doing before you became a hypnotherapist? So I used to be an actor. Um, I went to drama school in my mid-30s in Australia for a change. And You're not uh, Australian then? Uh, by passport, but not by birth. Uh-huh. And so uh, when, I quali- when I graduated, I came back to find, seek fortune and fame. Um, and like most actors, I didn't necessarily find that. And then at some point, I came across cognitive hypnotherapy and made the switch. Right. And what sort of roles did you play as an actor? Um, I don't know what that says about me, but... Quite a lot of Nazis, uh, right, or Russians. Um, <laughs> right. So yeah, which is and was this? Are we talking TV films, commercials? Um, some films, some short films, uh, a lot of theatre. Right. So it was very varied and very interesting. And how many years were you doing that for? About ten years. Right. And it was um, it was the death of a really close friend of mine. She died very very suddenly, and it put me in a bit of a spin to be honest and I had a tough couple of years and another cognitive hypnotherapist I didn't know anything about it at the time reached out and said you know I'd be happy to help you or work with you and that was the start of my looking at it and in fact the first person who helped me was a wonderful woman called Jill Wood who's based in Wimbledon and she said I think you'd make a very good therapist Um, And at the time, I certainly didn't believe that. And it took a few years. But uh, I thought the training would be interesting. And but I didn't do the training thinking about becoming a therapist just for my own education and self-improvement. Sure. Um, But how did the therapy help you personally? uh, Self-esteem was my issue. So I've always come across as quite confident. But actually, I was a lot of pretending in there. So uh I wanted to find out what that was about and I worked with somebody else and dealt with the underlying issues so that I could sort of let go of that. For me, they were all about relationship patterns. So I was uh, getting through relationships quite quickly, finding a way to make them not work. So the therapy helped you mm, in yes, the end? It helped absolutely. you see, see the, po- the way forward? Yes. yes. Uh, I'm, I'm in a sort of relationship being with my partner for coming up for three years now, so, okay. which for me is pretty good. <laughs> and how long was the training then to become a therapist? So the training is a year uh, for the initial part, and that qualifies you to actually be a therapist. And I immediately did the next level, which is master practitioner level, so that I could sort of build on that. Um, and I started seeing clients at the same time. And when was the light bulb moment when you think, thought, right, I'm going to become a full-time hypnotherapist, I'm going to give up acting? It was, uh, I made the decision to give up acting uh, at the start of my training. Why was that? Well, I'd always said to myself that I wouldn't stay being an actor if I didn't enjoy it, or that I sort of didn't enjoy other people's success, and I was finding myself 
not wanting to go to auditions and not enjoying it. And then I realized as I started doing the training that actually I was holding on out of ego. I'd spent so many years saying that I am an actor that my identity was completely tied up in being an actor. So my success as an actor directly led how I felt about myself as a person. And I had to break that tie it's very common and easy to do. Okay. And, and what uh, appealed to you about becoming a hypnotherapist? It was about helping others. I think I've spent so much focus of my life. It's all about me. And here was an opportunity to, to help other people. I, I don't claim to have amazing skills, but you know, with a little bit of knowledge, you, know, you can help others and you can really help them to let go of their issues. Okay, could you perhaps explain what is cognitive hypnotherapy? Is it all about hypnosis? It's not about hypnosis. So it's more about using what we call the trance state. So we're in and out of trance all the time. When you daydream, you're in a trance. If you've uh, driven a car and you can't remember how you got to your destination, you are in a trance. So we're in and out of all these trances every day. And when you have a problem, you have a trance, which is your problem trance. And so, in effect, I'm dehypnotizing people from that trance. So there's no sort of uh, rapid inductions or it's just con- very conversational. People close their eyes and they go to ne- where they need to go to. Right. And it's still very, very effective. And what sort of issues do people come to you with? Uh, it's very, very mixed and, and I find that very interesting. But my particular focus is on self-esteem and self-esteem is something that underpins so many issues. Um, so typically I see people for weight issues and quite often their relationship to food is their solution to their real problem which is how they feel about themselves and if you deal with that the food issue tends to disappear and obviously it would work on both at the same time Um, but also phobias, confidence, public speaking um, yeah, and other types of food issues as well so it's very varied so when people come to see you, how does it work then? And what, what sort of, do you put them into a trance? I mean, how does it work? Um, generally not. I mean, I find that if you ask somebody to close their eyes and start to become aware of their breathing, and then they will naturally go to where they need to go to. And depends on the person. Some people go to a very deep place, and other people it just feels like they've got their eyes closed. But it has no impact on how effective the treatment is because of the way that we use language, where um, and the way it's set up you're using their model of the world so if they're very visual you'll be talking about seeing things and if they're kinesthetic it will be all about how they feel so you're working very much in their model of the world which right. makes it very effective and how many sessions on average does each person have uh, it's always hard to answer I, typically i say to a new client that um, i see people for between four and six sessions and sometimes it's less and sometimes it's more it really depends on what's right for them brief therapy and solution based for therapy is it takes as long as it takes but no longer and why do you think self-esteem is such a big issue it must be a big thing in in the workplace as well yes it is because how our relationship our relationship to ourselves is critical because if we don't like ourselves or don't think of ourselves as worthy then that will impact on how we deal with other people or how we hear or interpret what other people are asking of us and we might have reactions to those requests that aren't helpful for us or we end up in a cycle of behavior that doesn't serve us or if you're in a workplace the company 
Sure, sure. And uh, can you give us any examples of, of people that you've helped? situations uh, where, where the hypnotherapy has really helped them yes so um i've dealt with people who um have knife phobias so there was somebody who came to see me who wanted to have surgery but uh, it was quite small surgery and they would be present and awake for it but they kept on putting it off because they didn't like the idea of seeing the knife oh my goodness um and so they were just putting the surgery off yes and so over three sessions we managed to get them to a point where they went off and had the surgery successfully, which is a great outcome. Absolutely. Brilliant outcome, yes. And during the two years that you've been practicing, mm. have, there been, have the problems changed or are they still self-esteem? There's a lot of stress and anxiety out there at the moment. And uh, when people come to see me, there will generally be, I have this issue and I'm very stressed and I feel very anxious. Um, and of course, there are people who would just come to see me for that. But that's very, very common at the moment, I think, because there's a lot of change going on in the world. Indeed, yes. And it's, and it's hard for people to know how to deal with that. It doesn't feel like it's necessarily a secure environment for them. So it can be very hard. Yes. Okay. And um, also, you were telling me earlier about a meetup group that you've formed. Would you like to tell us a bit about that? Yes. Thanks, Jackie. Um, so I've started a monthly self-esteem group in Twickenham at the exchange at first meetings next Tuesday and it's basically a two-hour meeting where people can come along uh, have some tea and coffee and I will explain and uh, share my understanding of self-esteem and give them tools and techniques to help them improve theirs as well. Okay and is it open to anyone? Absolutely they just need to go up onto the meetup site um, and search for my name and then they could sign up on there okay yeah, that's great so you're talking about um, how long people come to see you it's mm. only four to six sessions and what sort of cost do you charge it really depends on how people like to work um, some people like to work on a per session basis um, and other people like to work in a sort of intensive way and I also offer breakthrough sessions of four hours at a time so it really depends on, on what their needs are and their personal circumstances okay and I see you also do business coaching hmm could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so this is not an area I sort of put a, a, a lot of focus on, but quite often people get great advice from all around, and yet they find themselves not being able to actually implement that great advice. And so I help them work through what's actually stopping them from, from doing that and then taking it to the next level, which is strategies for improving and taking them to where they want to be and where they'd like to see their business. Right, okay. And you were talking about the knife phobia. What other sorts of phobias have you had to treat? Uh, quite uh, common ones are travel-related. What's so flying? Flying, um, and also on trains and the underground. That's, I've actually had more of them than uh, being based locally in London. That's, uh, that's, that's surprisingly common. And do you actually take them out on a train eventually? Uh, no. I'm, I, I don't push people to that way, but... Uh, I do get them to obviously see what their reactions are and again quite often they'll come back and say it's absolutely no problem and they're surprised at how quickly they find themselves in situations and enjoying it whereas the month before they weren't able to. That's amazing, yes. Yeah, and amazing. Um, why do you think they've had that phobia? Uh, quite often it's something has happened in the past. So when they were younger, um, something terrible might have happened or they had and I, when i say terrible it doesn't have to be a big incident it just felt terrible to them at that time and that that's been referenced all the way through and it just like it snowballs and just gets worse and worse 
And then you take them back to that and tell and reassure them. Yeah, so we we would obviously find out what that incident is, and then we would reframe it because, of course, we can't change the past, but we can change how we feel about the past, and that's the difference that makes the difference. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming in, Brooke, thank and telling you, us all about that. Would you like to give us your um, website details so people can get more information? Absolutely. Thank you. It's brookhender dot com. Um, so it's b r w o k e h e n d e r dot com, and they can go on there. There's plenty of resources. There's videos and recordings that they can listen to and find out more about me there. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you. That was Brooke Hender, hypnotherapist. In the next part of our show, we're going to be talking to Victoria Clark from Stowe Family Law. Surrey Business Affairs for and about local businesses in Surrey. Hair Mechanics is Surrey's premier hair and beauty salon group, with two superior salons one in the heart of West Byfleet and the second in the Bourne Valley Garden Centre of Adelston. Hair Mechanics offers hairstyling and finishing, beauty and holistic therapies, nail treatments, tanning and electrolysis. For our office promotions, contact information and more, please see our website hairmechanics.co.uk or call 01932 350877. Hair Mechanics, Surrey's premier hair and beauty salon group. Elegance, heritage and luxury characterise the Mitre Hotel in Hampton Court. On the Thames, alongside Hampton Court Palace, the Mitre provides a beautiful setting for that special celebration, from a stylish birthday party to an elegant wedding in the private pavilion suite with direct access onto the Riverside Terrace. The Terrace Restaurant, with its panoramic views across the river, offers a tasty and delicious menu, including the traditional scrumptious Sunday roast. And be prepared for delicious dishes with organic, homegrown and, wherever possible, locally sourced ingredients. To book your unique experience, call 0208 979 A perfect venue for a perfect celebration. The Mitre Hotel, Hampton Court. It's Surrey Business Affairs with Jackie Mitchell. Hello there and welcome back to Surrey Business Affairs with me, Jackie Mitchell. I'm now joined in the studio by Victoria Clark from Stowe Family Law. Hello there, Victoria. Hi. Thanks for joining us. No, thank you for having me. So perhaps you'd like to give us some information about your background. How did you start? What was your first job after school? Oh, gosh. Um, So... I've been very involved with law ever since I left school, really. So um, I did all of my legal studies and um, in Guildford. So lots of working in local firms. Um, I did have a stint at a pet shop um, over in West Horsley for a while. Which Interesting was, experience. It was, yeah. A lot of experience with dogs and all sorts of weird and wonderful pets. But it was actually quite nice to do something different from the law for one day a week. Um, but yeah, so just working in different firms and um, trying to look for jobs in family law because that's what I've always wanted to do. And why is that something you've always wanted to do? I found it's a law that um, it really brings value to my day. So, um, you know, sometimes I'll get calls from clients thanking me because we've managed to get them time with their child and that's really rewarding. And knowing that you can use your knowledge um, to help improve somebody's life going forward, um, it really feels like you're making a positive difference um, for people. Um, rather than you know something that might be a little bit 
um, I don't know, soulless, if you like. This feels makes me feel a bit more connected to my clients. And how many years training did you have to do? So I didn't actually do a law degree. I did a history degree um, because I found history really interesting. And actually some lawyers had advised me to do something I enjoyed at uni because I could always qualify into law afterwards anyway. So I went with history and loved it. Um, so then I did something called a graduate diploma in law or a GDL, um, which is sort of a law degree in about... A, it's about a year and a half of a law degree in nine months so really really um stressful but quite rewarding and then um a further year training and then I had to go into a law firm and train for another two years so probably all together is about let's do the math seven years worth of training um before you actually qualify as a solicitor and how long have you been with Stowe Family Law I started with Stowe in August 2017 when we opened up our office in Isha um so that office has been going for nearly two two years now and it's going from strength to strength it's great we started off with just two lawyers and one secretary we now have three lawyers three secretaries we've got another lawyer who'll be coming soon um and you know the secretaries are so busy their fingers are smoking on the keyboard so oh, well that's that's a good sign isn't it very good very <laughs> good successful Absolutely. and so what do you think of the current challenges then in family law I think that one of the challenges from a commercial point of view is that the government is trying very hard to make the law more accessible to um, people who uh, don't have legal representation. So what that means is that there are certain elements of the process where you don't necessarily need a lawyer to interpret that for you. Now, that's very good from a public point of view because we need access to justice. We need people to be able to manage their own lives. But from a legal point of view, it makes our job slightly harder because there are elements that, you know, we that have been simplified. So we no longer need to do those parts for our clients. So it's now looking at what are the more complicated elements of what I do. So I help clients who are getting divorced and have children disputes and things like that. So instead it's looking at, okay, well, what complicated assets do you need help with dividing up that you can't necessarily do by yourself? And also being conscious of clients that may be um, victims of domestic abuse. So coercive control, financial domestic abuse. Do we you know, need to make sure that we help those people and they don't just agree a financial settlement with their spouse that they're not happy with because they've been coerced into just agreeing that settlement. Um, So protecting those people and making sure they get the correct advice is really important for us. So I suppose a very important part of your work is being a mediator. Definitely. I think so. I'm I'm on a body called Resolution. So Resolution is all about promoting um, a fair and amicable approach to family law, not being deliberately contentious, writing things that have a purpose, to push a case forward and not just writing it for the sake of it. Um, So an element of that is also trying to... speak to your client about why certain things may not help the case move forward so yes you don't agree with your wife but if you agreed with your wife you wouldn't be talking to me you know just recognizing that you are going to have that dispute and you are going to disagree but we don't need to focus on that we need to focus on bringing this to an end so that you can move forward onto the next chapter of your life and fueling those fires yes it may increase my fees but that's not going to help my client reach an amicable agreement with their spouse Right. And also, I've heard it's very seasonal divorce, that it all happens at the beginning of the year after the Christmas holidays. Oh, yes. And there again in September after the summer holidays. Have you found that to be the case? The dreaded divorce day. Um, it can be. I think people have an element of 
I really need to do something about this in January and September because they see it as the sort of new start. You know, September is the new start to the school year. January is the new start to the actual year. So there is always that element of, right, what have I been putting off that I really need to do something about? But actually, I've often said that family law seems to be the only area of law where you can see a client a year ago and then they'll instruct you. And it's because they're still coming to terms with, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to bring my marriage to an end? Um, and there's a, so there's an element of the divorce petition that might be introduced soon called no-fault divorce, which is not placing blame on either party oh, to yes, bring the divorce to yes, an end. Oh, yes, there's a lot of publicity about that. Yeah, yes. so it's quite a topical, com- um, to- topical issue at the moment, and resolution has been pushing quite hard on that. Um, and actually, you know, that... People have said, oh, well, we don't think that's good because it's going to encourage divorce. And actually, my opinion is people don't get divorced unless they really want to, because it's not just about the petition. It's how it's going to affect your finances, how it's going to affect when you see the children. Your life is going to change. Um, So actually, people put a lot of thought into it before they go ahead with a divorce, because it's not just about assigning blame. It's about changing your whole life, really. Of course, yes. And what 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 are the biggest problems? I think that you find so where there are young children it's recognizing that there are limitations on how much somebody can work so the primary carer of the child tends to be under a lot of pressure to work as much as possible when actually they may want to enjoy bringing up their child and had they remained married to their spouse that wouldn't even be an issue but suddenly it does become an issue um there are also you know sometimes women who are in their later years so say over 55 60 and their marriage comes to an end. They've spent the last 25, 30 years looking after the children in the home, and now they're looking at a life that is not what they thought it was going to be. Um, so it's really difficult to try and place them in a financial position where they can ensure they look after themselves going forward. Um, and emotionally, that can be really difficult too. Um, also, I think father's rights are sometimes overlooked when it comes to children. So if a father is the primary carer of the child during the marriage, that's not necessarily treated the same way as if a mother's the primary carer. But I think that's a social attitude, which hopefully is going to change more with gender equality that we're finding today. Sure, sure. And uh, what about these cryptographic assets? Because oh, I yes. believe you work with the clients uh, with digital assets. Could you give us some information about that? Sure, happy to. Um, so I have dabbled in Bitcoin and cryptographic assets probably for the last eight or nine years as a hobby. Um, I'm a bit of a tech head oh, in okay. my <laughs> private time. Um, so that's something that I've always found really interesting. And I never actually expected it to bleed into my work. But I found that clients were coming who had cryptographic assets that needed to be dealt with as part of the divorce. And there were sort of little nuances of cases where this started to become more relevant. Um, so I sort of looked around and saw who else knew about it and realized that there wasn't anybody else so I thought oh gosh okay I I need to get out there and let people know that I know I understand this and I can help people that have this Um, and so that's really how it's happened so it's all about sort of bringing out awareness to people in my field of what it means and how they can work with it and then also helping clients who have it Um, there are some clients who believe their spouse has these assets so they're very worried that their spouse is deliberately trying to hide assets and things like that so So you have to investigate whether this is the case exactly Um, and I've been quite fortunate to make contacts in the crypto world if you like who can help with that so you know, from a fi- from a basic finance viewpoint, we we know mortgage advisors, accountants, company valuers, all of those sorts of things. But we don't have any contacts like that in the crypto world because it's so new and so fresh. So, 
over the last eight months I've been going out and trying to find those contacts so that I have that full package of experts for when a client comes to me and says right I've either got this or I think she has that oh right we can go in and we can explore and and we can find everything that there is to find and if you find it then you have to work out how to divide it up exactly so it's looking at do you want to retain that asset because you think it will be worth a lot more in the future or do you want to sell it now and you just take the cash but then are there tax implications for selling it now so there's lots of little nuances to it to really figure out the best way to manage something like that but it would be the same with any you know stock portfolio so it's a fairly new thing this then isn't it yeah I think I mean it's been around since 2008 but I would say it's really been in the press consistently over the last two years Mm. and I think ever since it hit $20,000 a coin sort of around January 2018 that's when people have really sat up and said oh this might be worth something and actually Apple released something called a crypto kit yesterday where in their new operating system you can have a wallet um, as part of your Apple operating system for a company that huge to implement something and create something like that into their own operating system really suggests to me that this isn't going anywhere absolutely absolutely yeah. and I also gather that you're president of the Surrey Law Society yes I so am. how long have you been doing that so you're president for a year um, I was made president in November of last year so I'll be stepping down in November of this year um, it's been a really exciting year because it's the second year of our um, legal awards which are in September um, at the moment we're actually asking for nominations um, there's a variety of um, awards such as lawyer of the year but then also support Support of the year, paralegal of the year, obviously family lawyer of the year, um, and so you'll be applying for that one. I can't sadly <laughs> oh, can't. because oh. I'm a president, but oh. I'm really encouraging lots of people to apply for it, um, and we're really looking forward to having a great show. But it's also about working with the community and the membership and making sure they get the best they can from the law society. And what, as president, what do your duties entail? Uh, so it involves um, going to events and representing Surrey, having committee meetings. We're looking for more committee members. So if there are people in the legal, um, you know, legal world in Surrey that want to get involved, please come along and visit us. Um, so we talk about, you know, events that we're hosting. We also have lots of training for lawyers in the area. So all the different um, elements of law to help them train and improve their knowledge as well. OK, well, it sounds really interesting. Well, thank you very much for coming and talking to us. Oh, thank you. Would you like to give us your website details if people want to get more information? Yeah, feel free. So um, I'm on Twitter um, under underscore Vicky Clark underscore um clark with an e at the end um you can find my profile on stowfamilylaw.co.uk um and i'm also on linkedin under victoria clark so you should be able to find me under one of those okay <laughs> thank you very much victoria thank you so that was victoria clark from stowe family law and the next part of our show we're going to be talking to john edward from mandara wills and estate planning You're listening to Surrey Business Affairs on Brooklyn's Radio, for and about local businesses in Surrey. If you're looking for an evening of the smooth rhythms of soul and Motown, or perhaps the vibrant moves of dirty dancing and grits, then you'll want to head over to the Holiday Inn Shepparton, your number one venue for tribute acts. And if you're planning your wedding, our beautiful event suites and attractive lakeside grounds are the perfect backdrop for wedding photographs that capture everlasting memories. And be assured that from your first visit, our dedicated wedding coordinator will be on hand to assist you every step of the way. Call 01932 899933. The Holiday Inn, Shepparton, the perfect venue, whatever the occasion. 
Brookings Radio's audience is growing. Potential listeners are listening, but are they hearing your message? Maybe you're saying to yourself, I don't know about internet radio, or maybe I should wait. Well, instead, think about it this way. Do you want to be one of the first businesses like yours to advertise on internet radio, or the last? So why not tap into the power of Brooklyn's radio easily and affordably? Contact Fiona through sales at brooklynsradio.co.uk. That's sales at brooklynsradio.co.uk. Brooklyn's Radio. Loving Surrey Radio. Brooklyn's Radio. It's Surrey Business Affairs with Jackie Mitchell. Hello and welcome back to Sorry Business Affairs with me, Jackie Mitchell. I'm now joined in the studio by John Edward from Mandara Wills and Estate Planning. Hello there, John. Hello, Jackie, and thank you very much for inviting me to come along today. Well, thanks very much for joining us. So before we get on to what your business does, perhaps we could uh, just step back and find out a bit about what happened, what you did before you set up this business. I've always been involved in financial services, giving advice to clients on a multitude of areas concerning pensions, investments and insurance. And latterly, I've specialized in the mortgage market and in giving advice to clients on mortgages I've often come across a situation where clients don't have wills and I've referred those people to other people who could arrange wills I was perhaps dissatisfied with the services which I was receiving from people that I referred them to, so I decided to do it all myself. And how long ago was that? I started that in 2012. Oh, right. Okay. But when you left school, what did you want to be, an accountant? Uh, No, I wanted to either go into one of three things, insurance broking, stock broking, or finance broking, and I ended up uh, not getting into insurance broking, but working for an insurance company, advising clients on pensions, investments, and insurance. And so from there, you became an independent financial advisor? Uh, That I did, but I'm not an independent financial advisor now. I specialize in the mortgage market, so I'm a mortgage broker and a will writer, and I do lasting powers of attorney for clients. Okay, and so I was very interested to learn that um, in the recent research has shown that 58% of the population don't have a will in place which seems incredible that over half the people don't have a will why do you think that is one of the uh, most common reasons why people don't have a will is um, they're superstitious they believe that as soon as they make a will they're actually going to die now i've been uh, involved with arranging wills probably for about 20 years but only in the last six years i've been doing it in the full-time way that i'm doing it now and there's no correlation between people who make wills and dying immediately afterwards and so what would happen if someone doesn't have a will Uh, the government has a formula which is called um, the laws of intestacy and the laws of intestacy uh, decide how someone's estate's going to be distributed that might not necessarily be how the individual would have wanted their estate distributed. So it's essential then that people make a will so that their their possessions go to the right people? It is essential. It gives people choice on appointing executors, appointing guardians, deciding where their assets go in terms of if they got um, individual specific items. They might have the grandfather clock in the hallway. They might want to leave £1,000 to their distant cousin or um, £1,500 to a nephew or something like that. Without a will, um, you die intestate and ultimately the government decide which way your estate's going to be distributed. Right. And so how do you help people then put their will together? 
What we do is we arrange to have a meeting with the client to find out what their situation is. And I'm a great believer in finding out what their situation is and not asking them what they want, but finding out and then making recommendations on what would best suit their situation. The majority of people in the UK have wills that are simple wills, which if you take a husband and wife, it's each to each other and then to the children. What we do is we work with clients and sometimes recommend the inclusion of trusts within wills, which can actually enhance the distribution um, of someone's assets. How does that work? That works on the basis, instead of leaving your estate directly to individuals, you leave the money to a trust, which you then have trustees, and those trustees, then you provide what's called a letter of wishes, and the letter of wishes provides guidance to your trustees as to how you want that trust to be operated, and it can potentially operate for 125 years after your death. Right, okay. And what would you say is the advantage for people to come to you to get their wills written? It's very much a question of when we look at uh, anything in this life, we can either do it ourselves, we can uh, spend time learning about a particular subject. A very famous artist once said to me, I only have so much creative thinking time, I don't want to spend it learning about this particular area. I'd much prefer to delegate it to you and know it's done well and know it's done professionally. So the advantage is coming to someone who can advise on the different aspects and there may be certain nuances certain aspects of someone's situation which they're not aware of the different things that they can do but coming to a professional they can actually advise on those things right okay and how does the how does the process work then you come and see them you find out what, what, what they have and then you put the get the will together how does it work what happens is when i'm um initially uh, i'm contacted by clients I will then arrange an appointment to see them. That'll either be they come and see me or I go to see them at their place of work or their home. And then I find out all about their situation. And then once I understand their situation, I make recommendations that they can consider. Now, if the client decides they want to go ahead with that, then what I do is make sure that I've got all the information necessary to draft their will. I then actually go away. I produce a draft copy of their will. I then email that draft copy to them for them to approve. They then come back to me and say, yes, you've got all the spellings correct. You've got everything correct within the will. I then produce a bound copy of the will, which I then arrange a second meeting to come back and see the client. And that second meeting is for the signing of the will. That's called the attestation. And what happens is I would always recommend that I'm a witness to the signing of the will because if a will is ever challenged, if it's challenged on the basis it wasn't signed properly, a judge will view a professional being a witness to the signing of the will in a better way than a layperson. And I've seen wills that I've not been party to the signing of, which weren't my own wills that I created, and they have been signed incorrectly. It's easy to get these things wrong. Gosh. So I'd prefer to be there because if the will's not signed correctly, it could potentially be invalid and the laws of intestacy could be applied. Sure. Oh, my goodness. That's very important then. So can you tell us how much you charge for your, for your services? Yes. What we do is we charge a fee for a single will of £180. And if we're arranging mirror wills, so that's a will for a husband and wife, say, um, we would charge £300 in total. Right. And uh, what age should a person have a will? 
people should start thinking about having wills as soon as they've got assets and things like that. So if you have a young couple, um, young couples probably think that they're immortal and they're going to last forever. <laughs> um, but really, people should make wills so that their wishes are very clear. So a young couple who decided to buy a property, um, they should be thinking about having a will. And how often should the will be updated? Every two to three years it should be reviewed. Uh, okay, so tell us now then about the lasting powers of attorney. What, what, are they, what is that? Well, I suppose the uh, simplest way of explaining what a lasting power of attorney is is to give an example. If, for example, you had a son and his girlfriend who were going on a diving holiday to Egypt and they decided to give you a power of attorney to look after their financial affairs whilst they were on holiday. And unfortunately, when they were on holiday, your son was on this diving holiday and he went 30 metres down and he came up too quickly. And when he came up too quickly, he went into a coma. At the point he went into a coma, he's technically lost mental capacity. So an ordinary power of attorney does not have legal validity should someone lose mental capacity. So therefore, what you need to do is have a lasting power of attorney, which has validity in theory from the time it's registered if the uh, donor, the person setting it up, elects to have it registered and have effect from registration. Uh, and then it can be used should someone lose mental capacity or whilst they have mental capacity. Right, so the, in the um, case study you've just mentioned, so the parents should have taken out the, the lasting power of attorney? No, the son and the uh, girlfriend should have taken out the lasting powers of attorney to make sure that they give their attorneys the ability to look after their affairs whilst they have mental capacity and also should they lose mental capacity. And one of the things that's not very often understood is joint bank accounts for any age person can be frozen if someone loses mental capacity. So if you have a couple in their 30s who have a bank account, and that is a joint bank account, if one of them loses mental capacity, the bank can freeze that account. And it is only unfrozen at the point that the people come back and say, we've got a deputy ship, or here's a lasting power of attorney, which gives us the ability to control these finances for this individual. So what is the difference between a lasting power of attorney and an ordinary power of attorney? A uh, lasting power of attorney has legal validity should you lose mental capacity. Ordinary power of attorney only has validity during the time that you have mental capacity. So it ceases to have legal validity. I see. Okay. And, uh, and what, under what circumstances should the lasting power of attorney be taken out? You've, you cited the example of the couple. Should married couples have that taken out? Everyone should have lasting powers of attorney. Really? And the reason everyone should have lasting powers of attorney, if you think how catastrophic it would be if suddenly a married couple had their bank account frozen because one party had lost mental capacity, they don't have access to all of their funds. They don't have access to their monies, their investments, etc. And if they then decided that, oh, this person's lost mental capacity, we better go to the Court of Protection and ask to be appointed a deputy to give us the ability to access the accounts, that can take sometimes up to nine weeks to actually come through. So this is something, yet again, that you can organise, yes, and how we, much would that be? Our lasting powers of attorney are very different to wills. A will, 
uh, typically will have five to six pages. A lasting power of attorney will have 20 pages, and therefore uh, they're far more involved. Uh, we charge for a single lasting power of attorney £250. If we're doing um, uh, two lasting powers of attorney at the same time, we would charge uh, £400. Right, OK. Well, thank you very much, John, for coming in and telling us all about this. Would you like to give us your website details in case people want to get more information? Yes, my website details are www dot mandarawills.com thank you very much john thank you very much that was john edward from mandara wills and estate planning and the next part of our show we're going to be talking to nora zimmerman website designer surrey business affairs for and about local businesses in surrey when you're looking to send important documents and packages don't settle for second best. Choose mailboxes, etc. in Church Street, Weybridge. We offer you high street access to fast, reliable and internet trackable delivery services from world-class couriers, including UPS, FedEx, Parcel Force, and DHL. We also offer a range of Royal Mail services and can pack your shipment so that it arrives safely. Around the corner, around the country, or around the world, big or small, mailboxes, etc. in Weybridge can collect pack and ship it all picture this a sunday lunchtime carvery where you can eat as much as you want with the choice of one two or three courses you're free to help yourself to succulent pork beef chicken or gammon and if you wish you can have them all add in a homely family orientated environment with free parking and you have your perfect destination for the perfect Sunday lunch. It's all here at the Best Western Ship Hotel by Monument Green, High Street, Weybridge. Book now on 0800 393 130. We're one of the most welcoming places to eat in Weybridge. It's Surrey Business Affairs with Jackie Mitchell. Hello there and welcome back to Surrey Business Affairs with me, Jackie Mitchell. I'm now joined in the studio by Nora Zimmerman, website designer. Hello there, Nora. Hello, hello. Thanks very much for joining us. So perhaps you'd like to give us a bit of information about your background. How did you get into website designing? Okay, I've, um, I've always been a graphic designer since I finished school. So um, it was a very natural transition um, to go uh, and learn how to do websites. And where did you go to school? Um, well, I was in school in Argentina, and then I did my degree in Argentina, and then I did a master's here in UK. So, what? So that's what brought you to the UK, the master's degree? Uh, no, love. <laughs> my, ah. <laughs> <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> yes, of course. So, love brought you to the UK. How long ago? <laughs> About thirty years ago. Oh, I see. Right. And do you go back to Argentina much now? Um, yes, I do every year. Yes, my family is still there. Oh, okay. So you um, you you were a graphic designer to begin with and mm -hmm. then how did you move into websites um it was just a natural transition um a lot of the work was uh, leading on to having websites i had quite a natural interest anyway because i had done architecture before um when i was studying and websites are a very functional thing where you are guiding people through the website you are showing them what to do and where to go and architecture has a very much 
um, a section of functionality as well. You know, when you're building houses or, um, you know, places that people are going to move through, you're doing pretty much the same. You're guiding them through with ease, basically. So... So yeah. were you a staff person at an agency before you set up on your own? Yeah, I was working for corporations, large corporations, big design studios, and then I slowly transitioned to my own studio. So what made you think, oh, I'm going to start up on my own? Um, I just need to be more at home, really, for my children. It was, um, it was I suppose, a, a hard decision because I really enjoyed the environment of working with people. But uh, I was missing out on my children. So, um, this how many children do you have? Two. They're grown oh. up now. Ah, oh, okay. But they were very young at that time. They were, yes, and they needed. I just wanted to pick them up from school, and I wanted to be around. Right. So, was it a, was it a scary mo- moment when you actually resigned oh. from the corporate job to start up on your own? Very much, <laughs> very much. Yes, and I wasn't the type of person that would do book clubs or coffee mornings. Um, I loved my work, so um, it was just um, yeah. There was a probably a good couple of years that I was um, transitioning, let's call it. Yes, and then how (laughs) did you find your first clients? Um, I always had freelance work anyway, and most of my work is via recommendation. I'm very lucky that way, and I've got a lot of clients that are long-term clients as well, so, um, you know, the work goes from perhaps doing a website to doing uh, training manuals to doing uh, brochures to doing logos and usually things move forward you know within three years four years people need to refresh people move on you know they're not the same person they were before they need to they come to me and they say my website doesn't match who I am now I've evolved you know I've changed sure so we go either through a refresh sometimes they have two or three websites they need to you know, bring them all together. So it's, yeah. So what what makes a good website? Oh, that's a good question. (laughs) Um, A good website is basically a website that is fully aligned with the energy of the business. So when you are perhaps meeting someone in person, you know, say you're meeting me, you know, um, the website is almost the same experience as if you are meeting me in person. It's well translated, it's communicating exactly what I do, exactly what I don't do, and it has um, clarity and ease. So a lot of people like to put a lot of information on websites and they want to say, and I do this, and also this, and how about this? Uh, But actually websites that have, you know, a lot of information and a lot of options, they can be a little bit overwhelming for people which means sometimes people don't take any action or they can't find what they're looking for. Whereas a website that is fully aligned, is simple and it's concise and it says exactly what it is and exactly what it's not, it begins to work uh, for the benefit of the business because the people that will land on that website are going to say, okay, this is for me, this is not for me, I'm going to look for someone else, which is very good. The website is working correctly. Right. And what, do you, what are the main mistakes that people make with web- websites? Well, like I said, overwhelming with mm-hmm. vast amounts of information or confusing navigations, um, naming things in clever ways that they are perhaps not common language. So a contact page is usually a contact page. And because people are very familiar with the word contact, they're going to know exactly what it means. And because people land on websites and there's sometimes not enough time, you know, 
it's like we're accustomed to immediacy in this in this day and age. So we want to get things fast. If I can't find what I'm looking for on a website, it means the website is not really doing its job. Sure. Another point about having a really good website is having it work for your business, which means um, we said about the communication already, you know, when you are not talking to someone in person, the website is talking to this prospective client already for you. But also some websites can alleviate admin. So I like creating systems behind the scenes for people, which means the clients can fill in forms, they can make bookings, they can pay for things. So the process is quite smooth and the experience of using the website, again, is like, okay, I'm already connecting and I'm already having a very easy experience here. So I want to work with this person. Sure. And also pictures are very important, aren't they? Yeah. The visual and the tone of voice are the greatest part of the puzzle. So if I am a type of person that dresses informally, there is absolutely no point in having photos of myself, you know, full of makeup and dressed to the nines because that's not the thing that they're going to find when they meet me. And also people make decisions, people make assumptions when they see photography. So if you have a selfie on your website, I recommend almost... 100% this is a greatest investment is to have good photography done sure and this is one part of the work that I do I love art directing photography not just having self-portraits but more telling a story you know about how this person works what they are doing um, who they are so yeah this is something I'm focusing a lot on working with clients on the photography and creating a really good brief for the photographer So you work with a roster of photographers? Yes, I work with developers, photographers, copywriters, VAs. Right, a good network of people. So as a website designer, what are the main challenges? Challenges I have? Mm. Oh, that's a good question. When when a client comes to you and says, I want a website, what are the main challenges? Yeah, Um, I would say this is personal because everybody works in a different way. So I like to collaborate. So I like um, the client to have a say, and I like to have a say. So I probably won't work very well with someone that comes to me and says, um, I want you to make this yellow, make this red, move it to the right, move it to the left. I call it worker bee. So Worker bee? Um, yes. Yeah, okay. So there's a lot of people that will, you know, provide that service, but I'm more of a you know, designer, which I am an equal. So the client will know exactly about the vision, about the service, about the clients and what it is they want to communicate. And I will almost help them uncover a bit more. You know, I do like to do inquiry with clients. And then it's very much a collaboration. We work together on Pinterest. We work together on almost birthing this website rather than a client coming to me and telling me I want this, this and this. It's probably not going to be, you know, I I wouldn't say it's a challenge because um, I would just say that's something that, you know, we talk about at the very beginning to see if we are a good match. Of course. And I suppose e-commerce websites must be particularly difficult. Um, They just involve more work. No, they're not complicated. Um, The technology is fabulous, so yes. But when you say you work with people on Pinterest, what do you mean? Um, 
one part of the discovery period when well before I design anything, well before I design a logo, well before I design the website is we go on Pinterest and we have almost like free reign to actually say, okay, this is something that I like, this is something that I don't. Um, We go through a period of, you know, researching and discovering together. So it's quite fun. Yes, it sounds fun. It sounds fun. Absolutely. And what about SEO? Do you do any of that? No, I don't offer that service. I recommend it to other people. Yes, you can refer to other people, can't you? Yes. Can you give us any examples of some of the websites that you've designed? Um, Yes, I've designed. uh, So I work on, sometimes people ask this question. This is a very common question. I work with WordPress and I work with Squarespace. So the larger websites, I design them on WordPress and the smaller websites, I design them on Squarespace. And on both cases, I usually train people on how to use the website so they have, have full control afterwards and they're not dependent on me um, later on. You know, they can actually take their websites, you know, to where they need to move them. I see. Are there, are there any tips you can give us, um, give the listeners about their websites? Uh, yeah, like I said, investment in photography is a really good thing. Um, another good thing is to actually think, what is it that my client is looking for? you know, in the so words put, that so I'm going them, to see. Put yes. themselves in, the, in their customer. Yes. Pretend they're a customer. Yes. So if I am a customer, you know, am I going to understand what this person is offering? So if I land on a website, you know, is it, is it clear that this person offers X, Y, Z? That's the first thing, you know, or if you are looking at your own website. Um, and examples, you, you asked me of examples of websites. You know, you can look at my website, obviously, to see examples. I've worked for so many. Sure. <laughs> okay. Well, that's great. Well, that brings us on to it very nicely. Could you give us your website details so people can get more information? Yes, of course. It's norazimmerman.com and it's N-O-R-A-Z-I-M-E-R-M-A-N.com. Okay. Thank you very much, Nora. You're very welcome. Pleasure. That was Nora Zimmerman, website designer. And I'd like to thank all our guests today, Brooke Hender, Cognitive Hypnotherapist, Victoria Clark, Stowe Family Law, John Edward from Mandara Wills and Estate Planning, and Nora Zimmerman, Website Designer. And thank you to my producer, Graham Laycock. And to stay in touch, or if you know any business people who should be on our programme, please email studio at brooklandsradio.co.uk with their contact details and a little bit about them. And do follow us on Twitter, at Brooklands Radio. Do visit the Business Affairs webpage on brooklandsradio.co.uk for details of forthcoming guests and to listen to previous editions of Surrey Business Affairs. This show will be repeated next Wednesday, the 12th of June at 8 o'clock in the evening. The next edition of Surrey Business Affairs will be on Thursday, the 4th of July at 1 o'clock. So do listen in. So it's goodbye from me, Jackie Mitchell. Surrey Business Affairs. If you'd like to take part, email businessaffairs at brooklandsradio.co.uk at Surrey Business Affairs for and about local businesses in Surrey.